Um, last week I was speaking at a men's retreat on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning. And uh, but we prayed for you guys, just so you know. I prayed for the church uh, group that was there, uh, the home church that they were from. Um, there were 22, 23 guys that gathered together, and, and out of a church of 100 and some people, when you take all the men out, it has an Amazonian feel to it, I think. I'm not quite sure. But, but anyway, there was a, uh, but we had a great time, and we prayed for City Light Church as well. Uh, and trusting God will just, would just meet you as well. <clears throat> Um want to come to a portion of Scripture. We'll probably put it up, uh, uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. You can follow along in your Bible or just watch it there and pay attention. There's notes in the bulletin for you if you want to jot a few notes down just for further reflection. Uh, it's a habit I got into long ago in uh, preaching ministry because especially when we went to New Cumberland uh, and began our ministry there, we, we began to use those study lines and small group kinds of things. And so I was got in the habit of just putting an outline out uh, with a few thoughts because they use that as the basis of their discussion in their small groups. So if it's of help to you as you dialogue or think through things or process things, uh, that's great. Acts chapter 6. I wish we could give all of the backstory for benefit of those that haven't been part of the study here, but but uh, but the Spirit of God was doing some amazing things, and the church was exploding in its growth, and uh, just some good stuff that was going on, um, miraculous stuff, stuff that you wouldn't, you know, people go to church and die, you know, really neat. Well, no, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say neat stuff, unusual stuff amazing stuff that occurs, and, and yet despite uh, the attempt of the enemy's part to get in and disrupt and divide and all that kind of stuff, the Spirit of God continued to keep on blessing this body. And, and the story goes on here in Acts chapter 6 about a similar kind of, of thing. So Acts 6, first seven verses. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread the disciples, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, there's a lot of little pieces in there that are of interest. But I want to talk a little bit about today about finding your place of service. It's typical in a church, and there's a 
principle that's called the Pareto principle that is true many times for churches, but true for organizations as well, and also even in terms of your own effort. The Pareto principle was was first moved forward by a, an Italian person who observed that in in Italy, 80%, 80% of Italy's wealth belonged to 20% of the population. Um, in politics of our day, okay, I, and I don't want to get into, you know, you know who, all that all that stuff because that gets kind of nasty. But but one of the things that seems to pop up is that that uh, a large percentage of the wealth is centered in a small percentage of people. Now my guess is you're not in that percentage of people. You, you, you're just my guess. Uh, I guess right. Okay, there <laughs> we go. Okay, but but and so the the complaint occurs. Well, what can we do to even it out? Now in the, in the political realm, they will say, what do we do? We tax the wealthy the wealthy tax, and we'll just take from them and we'll distribute it to the rest of us down here. So we'll kind of level the field. Pareto principle works in a variety of ways. Um, it's not a law. It's not a hard and fast. Sometimes it can be 90, 10%, 10%, 90%, the numbers. And sometimes they can even, it can even get a little bit strange beyond that. But generally it means this. 20% of the input creates 80% of the result. In other words, sometimes what you invest intensely becomes a very productive piece at some point. 20% of the workers sometimes produce 80% of the result. Now, if, if you're in a work setting place where you have a bunch of slackers, you're you're picking up the slack for somebody else. So, so it may be that... 20% of the people doing 100% of the work, you know. Uh, hopefully it's not that way in whatever organization or business you work in. We also say that 20% of the revenue or the customers that you have create 80% of the revenue. So you want to make sure you have good customer satisfaction. That's an important piece because sometimes that can drive things. Um, in computer language, 20% of the bugs cause 80% of the crashes. Uh, just another kind of thing. Um, so how does this work in the church? Many times, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Instead of everybody finding a place of service, we have this select few of hardworking, good-natured, conscientious people who end up getting... Everything headed that way. What's a phrase that we use? When you want something done, ask somebody who's busy to do it. They, they, so we tend to just kind of pile it on more. And depending upon the person, they will say, well, I can handle it. I can handle it. Pretty soon they may end up in a pile somewhere over in a corner saying, what in the world am I doing over here? That's possible, but, but that's a prospect. 20%, 80%, the Pareto principle. Now, I, don't, I don't know how it works entirely for here, but I will tell you this, that my opinion is that there's always room. There's always room for service in the body of Christ, and that's one of the things that we learn from this particular portion of Scripture. So let's take a look at that in terms of 
trying to help enable people to find their place of service. First, let's take a look at the problem that needed to be addressed. And it's not unusual for the church to have problems. They're not immune from that kind of thing, particularly when things are going really well. The Spirit of God is moving. The enemy has a way of trying to create things to get it off track, to get it distracted along the way. So the first verse, the issue was the the church was growing and had two uh, ethnic groups that were part of it, the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Backgrounds were different culturally, all that kind of thing. But they had a very good thing going in terms of caring for the needs of people. But there was just a couple little hiccups along the way that needed to be addressed. The problem that needed to be addressed came first as a result of continuing growth. The first verse said, at this time, while the disciples were increasing. the word, And this is the first time he uses in the book of Acts, the word disciple pops up. And it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's just a Greek word that says mathetes, mathetes. When I was back in college, way back in the Dark Ages, and I, I, was, uh, I, I took Greek in Bible college, and uh, the teacher, Harold Shelley, would come in and uh, he would say, Kyrie mathetes, and we would say, Kyrie didaskalos. Uh, what were we saying? We're saying, He's saying, greeting disciples or students, and we would say, greeting teacher, didaskalos, one who taught. And so that was our, every, every, every Greek session we'd have, that was the way it began. You had to predict it, you know, you just wait for him to walk in, and you knew what was going to happen. But it came as a result of growth in terms of those disciples. Spiritual growth is the product of spiritual life, and numerical growth is the product of spiritual growth. When we begin to grow in Christ, the prospect for multiplication, I believe, even increases. It came as a result also of practical service. Here it was caring for the needs of the widow community in that particular congregation. Um, when I don't know what you would rather have. A church with no problem, I do know. A church with no problems that never grows. Or a church with problems that is able to walk through them and still grow. I think I'd probably prefer to have the church with problems along the way, even though sometimes those can get a little bit tough to deal with. I'd rather be a part of a growing church with problems than a dead church that has none. Um, Martin Luther King um, is quoted as saying, anyone can be great because anyone can serve. Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. So one of the tasks that you have before the Father is to say, Lord, uh, you have put me in relationship with this body of Christ. How can I serve? How can I use the interests and abilities and talents I've got and more importantly, how can I use the spiritual gift that you have given to me? At least that's what the teaching of the scripture is. You have at least one. How can I use those gifts within the body of Christ? And how will I find a place of service for that? Here in the challenge, uh, in, in the local body here, there was a need that uh, they had to have addressed. And they needed to understand a few things that go along with that. 
One of the tactics of the enemy is to create dissension. If he can do that, he wins a little bit of the ground at least. Create some dissension. And you, you, can, you can run that in a church setting. You can find that in a family setting kind of thing. You can find a work setting. If he, he can get in and just create a little bit of that dissension uh, and division, he'll he, he'll gain some ground. We need to watch for that. Even as the church continues to grow, there will be growing pains and growing challenges that will come. So it was a problem that had to be addressed. Verses 2 through 4 talk about a solution that was proposed. It kind of pops up here. Um, and so I, I want to look at the way in which it emerged, so how, how it came along. A couple things. First, it was addressed as a congregation. It was, it was not just a necessarily a top-down decision, unilaterally made. It, re, it, it requested the input and involvement of the congregation while the 12, the 12 the disciples, gathered, they, the apostles gathered the, the disciples together. They gathered them all together. It involved them as a congregation. Our form of polity or government in a local church setting is congregational in nature. Uh, it's not uh, Episcopal. Um, it, 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 it may be in some ways Presbyterian of sorts, you know, some elder-related things, but it, it certainly involves congregational response. And that was a part of the proposal that came in terms of addressing it. But it understood something. It understood the issue of priorities. The end of verse 2 puts it this way. It says, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. There's nothing wrong with waiting on tables. There's nothing wrong with caring for the needs of people, in this case the widows that were being unintentionally neglected. It was just something that needed attention. But it... It understood issues of priority. It avoided neglect of the primary ministry. That was, a, that was a major concern. Anything we can do to get them off track, that's, that's the concern. That's the issue. Um, the, the apostles had not made a choice between good and bad. It wasn't bad to minister to the widows, but they had made a choice between the good and the best. And oftentimes that's where we're dealing with. It's not we're choosing, well, should I, should I go out and uh, light up the town tonight and rob a bank, or should I go to church? It's not those the good and bad. It's, it's, an, it's, it's more refined choices, not so much the good and bad, but the better and best or the good and the best, especially given their commission to be salt and light and disciples to all the world around. It challenged the leadership in the important art of delegation. That important piece. The disciples, the apostles, oh, I have to care with my language because both phrases are used, but the apostles had to be careful that they didn't make uh, uh, a habit of getting so involved in things that it kept them from the things that they were called to do, kept them from the important stuff. And that's a key piece. And it shows up really well. Brothers, the language says, choose seven from among you. Now, I don't know if there's any magic in seven. I mean, you can you can you can say seven is often the, the number of a, like a completion or a perfect number. Some some people, 
more likely, seven was the number of men used to handle business in the Jewish town. And so that's what they were probably used to. And it was part of the official council. So seven made perfect sense from that side. It was just a group of people to address the issue. And the proposal comes before the congregation. Moses, in the book of Exodus, chapter 18, pulls in people to help care for the needs of the body of, of believers there in, in, in wilderness setting. And, and, and Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, Moses and says, hey, listen, Moses, what you're doing, you're, you're, you're killing yourself here. You're wearing yourself out. He's having to sit and make all these decisions. He said, father-in-law sometimes can have good input. I'm glad for that because I can get some son-in-laws, you know. So you can, you can speak into that kind of thing. But he said, the thing that you're doing is not good. You need, you need, you need to pass this thing along. You need to delegate some things out so that the need is addressed and you're not in a pile in the corner wondering which end is up. It addressed the issues of the congregation. It addressed issues of priority. It kept the leadership focused on the main thing, the main thing, uh, where he says, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Um, one of the things we've got to be careful about in the ministry of the church is thinking that some things are more important than other things. There is a truth to that. Obviously, neglecting the preaching of the word and the ministry of prayer uh, can be a challenge if a pastor gets so involved in the minutia of ministry that he's the one who's making coffee in the morning. He's the one who's preparing communion. He's the one that's visiting all the sick people. He's the one that's visiting all the people that are angry at somebody else in the church because they know. You can get bogged down in a lot of stuff in terms of the details of things, uh, and it can keep you from keeping the main thing the main thing. Harry Ironside is an old uh preacher of a previous generation, but he was interviewed one time and he was asked if he could do life's ministry over again, would he do anything differently? That's an interesting question. I've heard it asked of seasoned pastors by young guys like me when I was asking the question, you know, and uh, Harry Ironside's response was, I would pray more. I would pray more. I, I'm struck by that because uh, in our day, that probably might not come as the response. They would say, well, I, uh, yeah. I, I've yet to run into a pastor on his deathbed who says, oh, I wish I had spent more time in the office. You know, you, you don't run into that. But I suspect there are people who might benefit from the investment of time in prayer and the wisdom of the apostles here is that they devoted themselves to two things, the ministry of the word and prayer. Now you're, you're in a process right now, uh, and, and uh, I don't have any more new information to share in, in that process other than the superintendent will work with a leadership team and eventually you get some information that will come to the congregation about prospective candidates. That will come sometime here. Uh, but your challenge is going to be how can we make sure we keep 
that pastor focused on the main thing and not get distracted in a bunch of other things that need attention. So you need to be working with him, and it kept the main thing the main thing. Enemy's tactic previously was in the issue of causing dissension. The enemy's tactic here is to create diversion or distraction. If he can get you or he can get a pastor off track and majoring on minors instead of keeping the main thing the main thing, that's where the church begins to fall down and, the, and its leadership needs to be very, very careful in guarding those priorities and understanding the priorities of ministry. One other piece about this particular portion of Scripture is that there is a resultant implementation of the plan. That's what verses 5 through 7. It, it, I'm delighted in the story here. It says, this verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. That's probably the last time in the history of the church that such a statement could be made. Because it seems like ever since then, you have, you have all kinds of issues. You have Jerusalem Council issue of Acts 15 where, where they're going fisticuffs in terms of whether they're going to make, make these, uh, these Gentile Christians adhere to some Jewish regulation and, 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 and Paul's letters to churches and or Peter or whoever always are dealing with one kind of conflict or another. Corinthian church was with conflict. And, and he says, you know, I hear that there are some dissensions among you, and I partly believe that. Why? Because we're human. Because your opinion and my opinion may not always agree. You can, you can say, well, I think we ought to be a little more this. We ought to be a little more that. People have had fights and arguments. I, I, I heard a, read a story of a church that uh, split. And when they tracked it back to what was the cause of the split, it, resulted, it came about because, because one of the elders was served a smaller piece of pie than somebody else. And when they tracked it back, and it's like incredible. How could that be? But sometimes we're people, and we do dumb stuff. So the next church fellowship meal we have, make sure you give somebody a bigger piece than you have. <laughs> Uh, but they, they implemented it, and it was, it was a congregational blessing of the whole, it, it pleased the whole group. It also had qualified, commissioned workers. Uh, God will lead to this place. The people that he, that he needs, that he knows need to be here, that we would serve them and meet one another, minister to needs there but then they will find a place of service to the body of Christ and sometimes even to the community wider uh, as a result of it. So God is, has calls upon people's lives to come and be part, and, and maybe that's where you're at, and you're, you're all in and all of that, but they're qualified people. Our qualifications today sometimes are different. The qualified workers today, there are two requirements. They have to be warm and breathing. Well, that's not biblical, but sometimes we say that. You know, uh, 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 take your pulse and say, yeah, you can serve in the nursery. Yeah, you can. You, this is not IQ tests, you know. This is, you can serve. You're, you're warm and breathing. That's not quite the qualification standard that you find here. Here's the standard for those people who are called to, look at this, 
wait on tables. That's not a very dignified kind of thing. You know, that's not that's not that's that's not preaching. That's not that's not being a, the head ug, you know, in the church. That's that's simply a place of service. But even in the places of service, as what eventually would become deacons, even here there's qualification. So look at them. A couple of them that are listed here. He said, I want you to pull apart uh, people, uh, choose among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit. They are spirit-filled people, and they are people of wisdom. Uh, the, the, the fascinating thing to me is that they could find those people. They were, they were people who were, were uh, ready to serve because they were qualified to serve. Uh, someone said God called the qualified, qualifies called, and I don't know which way it has to work out necessarily there, but with any sense of call that God gives to a person in terms of a service, he will qualify them. And it may not be because they have a degree in early childhood education. It may not be because they have an administrative gift or along the way. It may be because the Spirit of God is upon them. And great grace is upon them. And they have a wisdom beyond years sometimes in terms of how to deal with people. Also, uh, there's another description down in verse 5. It says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. There's another quality that worked on particular in terms of Stephen. That, that he somehow had the ability to believe God for the task that he had to do, the project that he was given. Um, there was an old Western uh, that, that used the, it was called the Magnificent Seven. And it was about seven cowboys or seven guys that went in and rescued a town and all that, that kind of stuff. So there are seven guys here. There are seven magnificent men here who God uses to come alongside and minister to the need of the body of Christ. They were qualified commissioned workers. What was the end result? Verse 7 puts it this way. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God spread, continued power with men, because they were people who had power with God. You will never have power with men until you have power with God. It doesn't make a difference whether it's in a nursery setting or a junior church, children's church, leading whatever. Power with God gives you a platform of ministry to people that he brings to your pathway. Disciples increased, continued to grow, and leaders were added. I find it interesting here. It says a large number of priests became obedient to faith. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they were automatically moved to the leadership position. I mean, they were certainly qualified from that side. But you know, I think that hooked them in. These are Jewish priests, and and we have this upstart Christian disciple group that's turning the world upside down in terms of its growth. The Spirit of God just adding 
and adding and multiplying people. I, I think what, what Luke is trying to remind them of is that these people that were added, these, these, uh, these Jewish priests, were added likely because caring for the needs of widows was not an unfamiliar thing for them in their own ministry in the Jewish culture. And so it was just a natural kind of thing. They were really, I think they were really impressed that, that these disciples would be able to care for the needs of the two different cultural groups and their practical need for assistance in the daily distribution of food. Um, I think that was an attractive thing that pulled these people in as a part of the community. What Luke is celebrating here is the triumph over an in-house problem that resulted in a new breakthrough in evangelism, in evangelistic power. Even the priest who beforehand had been hostile, go back to Acts chapter 4 and look up the story, are responding to the word of God and they're obeying the faith. The church was tested. She had passed the test by caring for the widows and guarding the word of God, both pieces. And God honored that triumph with new power and with fruitfulness that resulted in the lives being changed. Yesterday, Penn State lost. Some of you could care less. Some of you think, it was about to happen. Uh, perhaps they needed to take a page out of the Minnesota playbook <laughs> somewhere along the way. But I, I, the church today needs to take this page out of the playbook of the early church that requires people who will focus on not being served but serving. Sometimes people go to larger churches because they hope they won't have to get involved. They can just kind of creep in and creep out. Be like caterpillars, creep in, instead of pillars that hang in and become part of the solution. People that focus on being served rather than serving. Sometimes that's what happens. It calls for people who are intentionally growing in Christ so their qualifications are evident. So it's not a matter of, oh, I'll have to go to default, warm and breathing, instead of, uh, the Spirit of God is on that person. They're spirit-filled. They're, they're living a life before God. I can entrust them with our children. I can entrust them with our youth and, and uh, allowing God to work in that kind of thing. Um, so I guess what I hope for is that the Pareto principle, that 80-20% rule, won't win in the case of City Light Church, but I invite you to be part of a solution in terms of finding your place of service and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and live that life that is spirit-filled so that it won't be difficult for qualified workers to be found because God is doing a work in their spirit that enables them to serve in a variety of other venues, regardless of what it is. I, I, uh, hmm. 
I love waiting on tables. I, 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 the, the service kind of concept works for me. In another life, I might have been a bartender, I think, but I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, just kind of cleaning and serving. And, you know, they talk about the Titians and the barbers being very important people because people come to them with all of their issues or their concerns. And they serve a very important part. I like to keep things, except in my office, clean and orderly. Um, but, but to serve, service is an important piece for me. Anything that I can do to serve somebody, that's, that's where I will go. And I will go with great mercy in that setting. Not because that's just my nature. It's because that's part of the giftedness God has wired me with. And I'm just able to serve in that capacity. And that's a, that's a heart, desire, and passion. My prayer is that's kind of where will you'll be at in terms of service to the body of Christ. Qualified and ready to do that. Um, So there's a good prayer point. So join me as we pray. Father, uh, we don't understand how it can all work that an omnipotent, amazing God could scan an audience today. But you know where each one of these folks are at in the place of preparedness to be ready and qualified to serve. We see from this story that you called these people and you prepared them for the work that you called them to. The apostles selected disciples who were filled with the Spirit, who were wise, were full of faith. That's not a bad resume for each one in this place. And we'll leave the results up to you in terms of the particular area of service. If it's cleaning bathrooms, we clean bathrooms for the glory of God. If it's working on a website, we work on a website for the glory of God. Because our heart is to serve. Bless, I pray, this people with the, with the qualified workers to be able to accomplish the task you have for City Light Church for the greater glory of God. To this end, I pray. In the name of Jesus the Christ, who loves us and gave himself for us. Amen.